Zoe, that was such a great episode that we just recorded with Peyton. I loved all the things that we learned and discussed, and I feel like everybody's really going to enjoy this informational episode. Yeah, it was, it was so cool to hear all of the little tiny details that can go into planning your birth experience. She is so knowledgeable. I literally, I want her to be my doula, but um, distance is a, is an issue, but (laughs) yes, I think one of the really cool things too, about it was just learning how to advocate for yourself and your baby and just how important it is to have a supportive community with you when you're going through such a big part of your life. So yeah, yeah, totally. Well, we're excited for you guys to hear it and let us know how you like it. Um, Here it is. Welcome to the Lean and Learn podcast, where two best friends, a mom and a therapist come together to lean on each other and learn from each other. This podcast was created to hear stories of success, suffering, and everything in between. A space for women to feel connected, supported, and heard. You can expect total realness from Priscilla and Zoe as we share our own life experiences, and we hope you take this journey with us as we lean on and learn from. Okay, guys, we have a really special guest on today. Her name is Peyton. She is a birth and postpartum doula, and we are so excited to have her, I think, she's another one that I'm like reaching out to, like, we have to have Peyton on to talk about, uh, everything she's been doing. So welcome Peyton. Hi guys. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. We're so excited to have you and just hear all things doula. There might be like a, a vast kind of array of knowledge about what even a doula is. And so if we wanted to just start, what is a doula Peyton? Tell Mm -hmm. us what a doula is. What, what is your job? So what I do um, in the birth aspect is I am there to help be your voice and your hands and your support, encouragement. Uh, Doula is there to make sure that your birth preferences are going to plan as much as possible. So what that's kind of going to look like is throughout a pregnancy, doula will help you to make decisions that fit your beliefs that are going to help you feel empowered, uh, through the journey. And then in the actual birth itself, they'll be there to apply comfort measures, help your partner be able to understand what's going on, encourage them and show them how to be hands-on support and just kind of be, it's nothing medical. So that's kind of the difference that lies where there's some confusion is like between a midwife or a doula or an OB mm-hmm, and a doula. Mm-hmm. I am not there to do any side of the medical. I am just there for encouragement and to help the birth process go as smoothly as possible. The doula is there for like the, the, the birthing person, the mom that's, 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 that's giving birth. Like that is, that is their job. Like the nurses, doctors, midwife, whatever, they're there for like the baby and like taking care of like getting through the, the delivery. Yeah. Who was there for the person? I have like zero expectations of ever touching a baby in my job. Like that, I, that is my, that's not my role. But to go further, I'm not just there for the birthing person. I'm there for the partner as well. Yeah, and yeah. so I, what I try to do in 
is more direct the partner on how to be hands-on. So I know all the tricks. I know the hip squeezes. I know what positions to be in. I know when they should probably go to the bathroom or take another drink of water. But sometimes I try to just be like that little whisper in the partner's ear to be like, hey, why don't you guys go do this really quick? Why don't you go do this? But that's what it's all about is like being able to support, you know, we're a team in this and Mm -hmm. I'm not there to take anybody's place. I'm there to help you work together more efficiently because birth gets crazy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so people can have a doula and an OB. You're just there for the emotional side of it. Just kind of keeping everyone calm and together. Is that right? Yep. And unless, unless someone's doing a free birth, which is without any medical support, they have to have someone else. I cannot really intercept anything if it it comes medically. So, I mean, I am trained to in emergencies, but I wouldn't put myself in that position necessarily, if that makes sense. What's a free birth? Now I have to know. No medical assistance. Yeah. The other usually, you're usually just at home. Um, There are doulas who- Water birth? Is that? It just depends. Does it matter? Yeah. uh, Like what you're birthing in doesn't matter because I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone can have like intentions of, oh, I want to have a water birth. And then you're like seconds from pushing and you're Mm -hmm. not in the water or you don't want to be in the water. Some people get in the water and they're like, this is too hot. I don't like this. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's just, it can be in your bathroom floor or your kitchen floor. Doesn't really matter. That baby's coming. Yeah. In your backyard. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, it's, it's I would love happening. that. I know. I, I <laughs> oh my goodness. I want to know how many births that you've been a part of. I just started recently. Um, and after COVID, it was kind of a fight to get into like hospital settings. So when mm. I lived in the Milwaukee area, I was at a wonderful Um, there was a wonderful birth center there. And in that year I did nine births. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, taking a break again, just till we get back home and get settled. So Mm -hmm. I've been so blessed to be like invited into that space. I can't wait to make those numbers. So, so, so many more. Um, but it takes time and it takes not having a pandemic and (laughs) yeah, all that good stuff. Definitely. So you've done home births and you've done medical births as far as like being able to be there for moms and families for their delivery. Yeah. The, the medical side of things that we had a few great hospitals in that area and then the birth center, which there's not a lot in a lot of areas is Mm -hmm. going to be an out of hospital birth, um, but you're still in a center. Yeah. It's not, they're still not going to have any sort of way to do epidurals Mm -hmm. or any emergency C-sections, anything like that. It's still very natural. It's almost like just checking into a little spa or hotel and having your baby there and then going home. So it's, it's what I did for my birth as well. And it was great for me because it still gave us the peace of mind of, we were a few minutes away from a hospital. Um, it got me like out of that. The house that we were in is like not the house I saw myself having a baby in. So mm-hmm. this was like, it had the be- like glass tubs and Ooh. showers with like multiple heads. So it really was a spa experience. Um, That's so cool. The hospital. Yeah. I think of it as like home birth. And then the next level up would be like birthing center. birthing center and then hospital. Totally. Like those. Yeah. The, the, 
something about like what Priscilla you were saying about like being like that emotional support I think the first kind of topic we can talk about is how you do that how you help like them feel empowered and like what that piece looks like um especially because like you said like there's such a different like array of experiences depending on yeah. who you're working with so the, like you said, there's a whole array empowered can mm-hmm. look completely different from person to person. And it can look completely different from your first birth to your second birth. Like you learn what you want, what's important to you, um, and what your intentions are for the experience. So there's no right or wrong. Your whole birth plan could be, I want an epidural and that's it. That's all you care about. And that mm-hmm. is great. So we're going to get you into that hospital. We're going to get that epidural rocking, but we're also going to make sure that the lights are where you like them. And do you have anything that you want to like smell or listen to? There can be so much more to it. It sounds like too, like you really are like, if you're hired as this family's doula, you really can like help them make these decisions. Like you're kind of like empowering them to figure out like, what does this look like for, cause I think, I think a lot of people don't even realize like there's so like you can have music playing or you can mm-hmm. have the lights dim. So you're kind of giving them these like suggestions or like yeah. just options, which is kind yeah, of guiding really- them through it. Totally. And just again, knowing your choices, it's so huge. Yeah. You don't realize you don't have to wear that gown when you go to the hospital. I do not want to wear that. That is so ugly. (laughs) Your own, because you know what, when you feel good, you do good. So bring something you're comfortable in and something that like makes you feel good because you're going to be there for a bit and you just want to feel your best. And there's so many little things like that. So yeah, of course, when like trying to decide birth preferences, a doula can bring all of those little things to attention and ask you like, Hey, what do you feel about this? But then it also goes deeper when you're presented with information or choices. A doula is never going to make the choice for you, but I'm going to give you every bit of knowledge that I have in every direction. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to present it to you to allow you to make the choice for what's best for you and your family. It's like you're giving them the option, like the, the, again, empowering them to make an informed choice. And I feel Mm -hmm. like with our medical system, you know, not to say that, you know, I personally have like a wonderful OB, but they have a lot of patients. And so mm-hmm. they not don't necessarily like, I feel like have the time to sit down with you and like go through, these are your choices. Totally. And there are, and that goes back to you too, like dealing with the difference of OBs. Well, first of all, there's bad eggs, no yes. matter where. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to say like you have a great OB there's so many people that have amazing OBs. Yeah. There's yeah. so many people that don't, don't also. Yeah, yeah. So, and that just comes back to like, you get to choose when mm-hmm. you are looking at midwifery care versus, you know, like a general hospital care. Midwifery care is more personalized. You are seeing them from beginning to end. And I don't think any of my appointments were less than an hour with my midwife in mm. her office where I never laid on a like a hospital bed. It was a mm-hmm. couch. That's where we did all of my, you know, prenatals. And she spent time answering those questions, which was really amazing. But again, still would want to do that because even though 
once you walk out of that appointment, you're still going to have questions. You're still going to yeah. want, there was still things I wanted to research and things I wanted to dig deeper into. So that's where the ideas get bounced off. More articles get brought up, more research and things like that. So I was just thinking like when I had both of my girls, like I was at an OB and I mean, my appointments were like, it was a revolving door. Like every time I went there, I had to have like my quick questions. Okay. What questions do you have? Let's just answer them really quickly. And I kept saying that to my husband, Ryan. I mean, he was great, but again, I was uneducated going into the whole entire thing. And I was really, really young when I had my kids. So I didn't take another I didn't take a second to think like, oh, maybe there is another option. So to me, I mean, if anybody's listening to this and they're like thinking about having a baby, I'm like sold already. I'm like, go talk to a doula. Yeah. yeah. And my goal is not to like turn anyone. I love midwifery care. I do. Mm -hmm. That is what I was telling you, Priscilla. I will be going to school for that soon. So of course I'm going to like shout from the rooftops how amazing it is, but that I, I know there are situations that don't get to use midwifery care. It's, mm-hmm. it's just for low risk pregnancies. So th- you are still able to make any sort of pregnancy, whether it's high risk, low risk in a hospital setting with an OB, an amazing experience. So I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like right. not discourage that in any way. Well, and that's like my experience too, because I started with a midwife and then because now I'm considered high risk, there isn't like, I can't see a midwife anymore and I see an OB. So for me, it's like, I have to have a doula because my, again, my OB is great. I literally have his personal phone number and we can text and stuff, but he is busy and yeah, it's just like the reality of it. And Mm -hmm. so like to have someone, like I know, like when I was looking for a doula for myself, it's like, they can be with you from the, the beginning of the pregnancy all the way through, which I think like just that emotional support is just huge when it's like, you know, is this normal or like, what is this? (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like that's really big. Yeah. It is huge. And, and not just for the pregnancy symptoms themselves, but there's so many emotions that come up Mm -hmm. and so many, like, it's nice to just have like a sounding board to go off on Mm -hmm. with someone. And if you do have the choice to choose where you want to be, you just have to choose what you're most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Birth is going to have risks no matter what. It's going Mm -hmm. to have risks in a hospital and it's going to have risks in a home birth. Mm -hmm. So you just have to choose what's more important to you or what, what more you're willing to risk. Um, It's like a risk benefit analysis kind of thing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. What in a hospital you're, you're more inclined to have more interventions. The Just when you walk in the door, um, the induction rates right now, they've gone up from 9.6% in 1990 to 27% wow. in 2018. So when you are, are being seen in a hospital, you can kind of count on it at least being offered or talked about mm-hmm. um, whether it comes to, oh, you're past due, which don't get me started on due dates there. We are the only country that counts 40 weeks as full term. So most countries and most first time moms are going to go past 40 weeks. So, but we see a lot of inductions due um, to gestational age. Well, I mean, even I'm just saying even everyone, like I know, like my sister was induced. Like, I don't know if you were induced Priscilla, but I feel like so many people I know. Yeah. And you were 19. So it's like, I know that your situation was a little different, but I hear, and even like friends that I, other friends that have had babies, it's like, and you almost don't even 
like you're so in your like stress that you're like, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. Good. Induce me. And you're, I don't know. It's something it was like, like, it's not really an option. It's like, this is what you should do. Yeah. It was like white coat syndrome for me. Mm -hmm. So like the doctor said, this is what we should do. I was like, okay, this is what we should do. Like I didn't question anything. And I mean, that's just the reality of it. Like if I could go back and do things differently, I would, but I, you know, I had guilt. You don't know what you don't know though. You don't know what you don't know. And I had guilt over that for a long time, but I'm like, you know what? My girls are here. They're healthy. They're beautiful. That's what's important right now. But I think it's just important to educate yourself that there are, Mm -hmm. you can have more support in your birth. And I think that that's, it's empowering. Yeah. And it's that idea of like, like I've heard like the cascade of intervention, like once you get induced or your your membrane sweep, like you're this much more likely to get this and then you're this much more likely. And it's just like a, just a ripple effect. Yep. It is. The cascade of interventions is huge. And that's where, you know, it's, it's hard because once you, you just have to look at it at what it's doing when you Mm -hmm. introduce Pitocin into the mix it is an artificial oxytocin. So when your body and your baby wasn't ready for labor, and then you introduce this fake contractions that are so strong, so, so strong. I'm sure Priscilla, you can say how, did you get induced with Pitocin? I did. Yeah. They are uncomfortable. Yeah. They are so strong. Like any mom that has been induced, I, I praise her because they are it, it's just something and it just comes on make. like super quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you think intense. of a, a little baby that is experiencing these contractions that are harder and longer than normal, of course, their heart rate's going to go down. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to look not good on a monitor, which then leads to, oh, now we're, you know, mm-hmm. emergency C-section or this or that. So yeah, mm-hmm. the cascade of interventions is such a slippery slope, but you're, provider should be responsible to get informed consent from you. So Mm -hmm. what informed consent is going to look like is what type of care is being offered, what it would involve the process of it. Like there's so many times the, there's like a fetal scalp monitor to monitor baby's heart rate that Mm -hmm. they'll say, you know, it's just this little pin we're going to stick in the baby's head and it's, and it's while you're in labor when they can't like really get the heart rate on the monitors because they want to keep an uh, eye on the heart rate. And they kind of downplay the situation when in reality, it is a screw that goes into your baby's head. And great. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary, but do not downplay the situation to me mm-hmm. to make, to make me more likely to say yes. Tell me what it is. Let me make that decision based on the information giving. I don't know. I can imagine that being like, well, I don't want them to think I'm not making the right choice or, you know, in that moment, I don't, I make, want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And I don't yeah. want my doctor to think I'm whatever. But in order to make that right decision, you have to have all the information. So on top yeah. of what it would involve, you need to know the harm and the benefit of the yeah. situation. Because like we said, every direction you go in birth is going to have some sort of risk. So any medication you take, anything in life, there's yeah. always going to be the, but also this could happen, but this is why we're using it. So the mm-hmm. harms and the benefits that are associated with the type of care 
and the alternatives to that kind of care and the benefits of those options, including doing nothing. So Mm -hmm. if they say we, I guess back to the heart rate monitor, well, what is the alternative? We can still try to use the monitor, you know, externally and try to get it. And what if we don't do anything? Well, we're not able to monitor the baby's heart rate. Was the baby's heart rate okay? And like, is there concern? There's so many, Mm -hmm. when you're, the more information you're presented with, the more questions that kind of get sparked, Mm -hmm. which leads to you being able to make that informed decision, which will eliminate the shame because Mm -hmm. you are making this decision based off of, it's an an acronym called BRAIN. So it kind of goes over pretty much what informed consent should include. The benefits, B, R is for the risks, A is for alternatives, I is for intuition, which you freaking know in your gut. Like you Mm -hmm. were given this baby for a reason, and that was to make decisions for it for the next Mm -hmm. 18 years. And that starts now. That starts the second you pee on that stick. Like you have to make decisions. And they're hard decisions. And they might not be what your doctor would do. They might not be what your mom would do or your Aunt Ruby twice removed. Like, who freaking cares? Because this is your Not Aunt Ruby. She's always coming in and freaking messing things up. Always texting you the whole time. Like, "Mm mm-mm-mm. You know, back in my day, yeah, no. I actually really and like the name Ruby. I think that's cute. <laughs> I don't know why that just came to me either. I have no rubies in my life. Me neither. Do you have a ruby? I don't have a ruby. That's okay. so great. Well, Ruby's out there. We love you. Just and then N off. is nothing. Yeah, do nothing, oh, nothing. and yeah. mm-hmm. and that that's sometimes like just okay. If or yeah. even for the time being, you can say when you're presented with an option, even when it's like you are in labor and they come in and they say, you know, we'd really like to get this Pitocin started and what they're not telling you or the risks that they should be telling you mm-hmm. is it doesn't cross that blood brain barrier. Like, like our natural oxytocin does. Mm-hmm. Uh, oxytocin is constantly battling with your flight or flight hormones, the epinephrine and norepinephrine. Mm-hmm. And whatever is causing the anxiety, it will inhibit the oxytocin and cause labor to solve. So oxytocin is like, it's the love hormone. It's what you mm-hmm. need to get like going. Um, you can think like dark lights, loving touch. Those are going to be the hormone that is going to keep labor. Like nipple stimulation, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> like I've heard people are like having straight up orgasms when they're giving birth in some cases. <laughs> orgasmic birth is like a following it is it's an Instagram I I can tell you I've never reached that point um more freaking power to them yeah Yeah, that's right yeah it is a mindset and some people can get into that mindset and that is yeah that's great and people do it in hospitals and out of hospitals Mm -hmm. too so Mm -hmm. that's that again is just proof that it is all Mm -hmm. like where your mind is comfortable, your body is going to progress with that. Again, oxytocin is that love hormone. We want that to come naturally. So when it's not happening naturally, the things that come after that aren't going to happen naturally either. It -hmm. might be a little bit more work for breastfeeding. It might be, you know, now because you're on Pitocin, you can't 
or you have to have an IV, which means you're going to have fluids pumping through you the whole time, which means, again, that might lead to harder breastfeeding because you have so much fluid in your boobs that the baby can't latch on properly. Mm-hmm. So instead, we should start with nipple stimulation and then say, hold on, let's do this first. And then we'll think about Pitocin later. Rub those nipples. Rub the yes. nipples. Yes. When in doubt, you know. I think, that's, I think that's a good start. Like, well, let's just try this doc and then come back in 20, 30 minutes. Exactly. And that's the doing nothing where yeah. mm-hmm. you're not saying absolutely not. You're just saying give me a little bit of time. Let's see where this takes us. Let's. Yeah. And I think that that's hard though in the medical world because they're on such a time frame Mm -hmm. and like things need to happen now. Like their shift is going to be over. And again, it's like that not to like hate on the medical providers because we love them, but it's like, that's the system. Like they are under that like pressure of like, the reality is my time is almost up or, you know, my shift is over or whatever it might be. It's like, yeah which is like not natural, right? It's Mm -mm. like, we're naturally trying to do this process that is completely up against like an unnatural medical system that is like, all right, here we go. I mean, if you ask a provider how many times they've seen a truly physiological birth, a natural birth, zero interventions, they're not, they're going to say pretty rarely. It doesn't, it doesn't Mm -hmm. happen very often. Um, And so you do get that. And then you're also thinking in your brain too, well, I want my provider there that I'm comfortable with. I don't want to go through another shift change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There are medically, medical reasons to need induction. So that's kind of a completely different topic. Like if, if it's Mm -hmm. an emergency situation, but there's also a lot of voluntary inductions for no other reason than I'm done. Like pregnancy is hard. Getting to 40 weeks is rough. Like there's Mm -hmm. no birth. Pregnancy is beautiful. Birth is beautiful. All that, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. And no one ever said it was going to be easy. So I get it. I get getting to that 40 weeks and just being like, man, if I could, I would do anything to get this baby out of me right now. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you just have to remember to use up your brain in the, any situation. And you can easily say, do you mind coming back in 10 minutes? And I let, you know, talking with your partner, your support that you have uh, in private, being able to make a decision, looking back, taking the time to look up articles, look back on your birth plan and say, hey, so if we do this, this might change this. Are we willing to give up this for this? Which is Mm -hmm. okay. I know you kind of went over your role in the delivery. Um, what else does that look like? Cause I know we briefly talked about that at the beginning, but so are so you're with the mother through her pregnancy and then you're there during the birth for the mom and the partner, correct? Yep. And sometimes that even looks like <laughs> there's been times where at the birth center, so there's a lot less hands-on in mm-hmm. a birth center s- situation. You know, they don't have like a full nursing staff and this and that. So just as much as I'm there for the mom, there's been times where mom's in like a crazy position, baby's about to come out and the midwife's like, I need you to hold this light. So I'm like trying to encourage mom, trying to hold the light. Like it's just, it's a team effort. And you see a mm-hmm. lot of that in the out of um, hospital world where we're all just kind of there to support each other. And there's not really any 
Sometimes in a hospital setting, doulas can be looked down on just depending, just we're not medical, but we have a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So, well, there's a hierarchy in the medical world in general. And so, yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to think of. And that is totally it. And Mm -hmm. you want to make this name for yourself. That is not someone who oversteps boundaries, but you also know what your client came in wanting. So I think, I think too, it's like, with I'm hearing like with midwifery and like the doula approach it's like it's maybe more so on like we're letting the baby the baby's laying the timeline and like the process whereas in maybe like a hospital it's like we're going to control the timeline and we're going to Mm -hmm. be leading the baby to where we want it to be I mean sometimes midwives will do like it's very rare. You'll ever see them break your waters or do a membrane sweep or mm-hmm. any of those. Cause a membrane sweep, as simple as it sounds, you know, you're going in for your 39 week check and your OB goes, Hey, you know, I'm just going to give you a quick membrane sweep to, to speed things up. If you're okay. Is that what that. happened with you, mm-hmm. Priscilla? I know I'm trying to remember. Um, no, but it's happened to a lot of my friends. And then yeah. I was in, yeah, I was induced with Sophia and then Selena was a um, scheduled C-section. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, that was not a thing. Yeah, and even just that simple, they make it sound so simple. It's really painful. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not comfortable to have it done. Mm-hmm. There's no connection. There's no evidence based to say that it induces labor because coincidence isn't, evidence like you maybe that puts you into labor or maybe you were gonna go into labor without it there's no way to prove that our bodies have been doing it for hundreds and thousands of years like that's what our bodies were made to do so I think too it's like a I think you're scared of the what if when you're pregnant it's Mm -hmm. like well what if my birth doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go. What if me or baby goes into harm? So this is what I need to do to avoid these things. But it's okay to, like you said, like take it slow. And if you carry this baby for 42 weeks, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like let your body try to do it naturally. That's what we're made for. Women's bodies are incredible. So let them do that. And then if the medical team field needs to intervene, then, you know, then that's okay too. Cause that's what and they're there for safety. The thing is, like you said, we've been doing this for so long. Birth should be a natural experience that sometimes needs medical intervention, mm-hmm. not a medical situation that sometimes happens naturally. Like they, I like that. Yeah. Our, our modern medicine has just taken over a lot and it is mm-hmm. hard because it is, I have so much respect for it. And in the right time, it is so necessary. It saves lives, saves babies. But I have also seen so many beautiful babies just be born without anyone interfering in that physiological mm-hmm. birth. Yeah. So it's hard. But so well, and in- I think there's, I was going to say, I think there's incentive for doctors to, I mean, for there to be medical intervention pushed because. I mean, you can think of how much is a Pitocin dose you're spent. I mean, think going in that whole, that, that whole world of like insurance and how much money they're making off of this. It's absolutely, I mean, we don't need to get into that, but that is absolutely insane how much money Mm -hmm. it costs and how much these, yeah, 
that whole part of it is like it, there's so much incentive for you to get as much intervention as possible. That yeah, is, that's a whole another <laughs> yeah. yeah. So back well, to what my role is in the actual labor is um, once you get more into active labor, when contractions are steady, closer together, longer, can stronger contractions, can't really talk to them. That's kind of when I'm going to come into the situation. So you're already got it rocking and rolling. You're either getting ready to go to the hospital or things are going at home or the birth center. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I am coming to start applying comfort measures. There's so many things. Mm-hmm. And these are things that are usually talked about in the prenatal meetings as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ins- try to instruct you on new things to do while you're in birth, but it's going <laughs> to be things like a double hip squeeze because applying mm-hmm. counter pressure to your sacrum is going to give you a lot of comfort in your lower pelvis area. There's tricks like using a comb. If you take a comb seen and that. seen it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it relates to the pain gate theory where our brain can only process so much pain or discomfort at one time. So your hand is closer to your nervous system, like your central nervous system, sending those discomfort signals to the brain that your brain hears those first before it's hearing the discomfort from the lower areas. Hmm. So something as simple as just squeezing a comb might be like your trick to making it through. There's crazy. Um, and an out-of-hospital situation, I really try to focus on uh, keeping the birthing person hydrated because there's mm-hmm. usually not an IV line. Hydra- uh, dehydration is a huge factor yeah. in maternal exhaustion. So making sure someone stays hydrated and fed. I was going to say, they not. get to eat. They get yeah. to eat. <laughs> so I will, even if it's something as simple as a honey stick or a little mm-hmm. packet of peanut butter, I am constantly offering food and water. Mm-hmm. Unlike, and I mean, I'm sure most people understand we're kind of laughing about that because in a hospital, they tell you, you are not allowed to eat or drink. Mm-hmm. They give you ice chips. <laughs> yeah. Ask them where it's written in their policy and yeah. pack peanut butter and jellies in your bag anyway, because <laughs> You wouldn't run a marathon not expecting to eat. So yeah, how are yeah. you going to birth a baby? Yeah, but, that's so true. And and then, so I'm encouraging movement as much as possible, even with epidurals. There are so many positions that we can do in the bed um, using peanut balls yo- and the yoga balls, things like that. And then in a non-epidural situation, encouraging movement up and off the bed, going to the bathroom often. The toilet is famously referred to as the dilation station. So anytime <laughs> you are like just stalling, labor's not going anywhere, it is always a good idea to go to the bathroom because one, we naturally relax on the toilet. That's what our body has been trained to do for years and years mm-hmm. and years. It puts our body at a great position with our knees and bringing them kind of up closer to hip level. And it's just usually quiet in there. Nobody really ever follows you into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So you get that <laughs> little Unless like. Unless you've got Aunt Ruby. She's going to be in there. <laughs> She's like FaceTime me. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. Yeah. So that's kind of my job. And then just sometimes just being quiet. Sometimes mm-hmm. I leave the room even too. Like there's, you just really had to feel out the situation there's, like I said, I speak more on the natural side of things because that's more what I'm familiar with. I, mm-hmm. 
I, the clients that I have, they want quiet, they want undisturbed, they want to allow their body to work how it does. So that's where I'm applying the comfort measures, giving them words of encouragement, but also giving them space when necessary. Mm-hmm. In a hospital setting, I am there to help you use your brain. We, on top of all the other things, all the comfort measures, all the sneaking you snacks mm-hmm. or dimming. You snacks. There's always going to be the nurse that comes in I and turns. You guys should see my birth bag. It's like, it's pretty much a toddler's dream because you like open it up and there's just snacks and I love it. Maybe a little bit of everything. You know, I want to hear what is, what's the craziest birth story you have or your favorite, just like that sticks with you the most. I'm like reaching into the depths to see like what direction to take it. I think <laughs> I would honestly say my own birth, like as crazy yeah. as that sounds is yeah. I, I went into it like so big headed that my birth was going to be so amazing. And it's just, this baby is going to come flying out. Cause I'm like so great at what I do. And <laughs> it did not go like that. And I, I did the out of hospital birth. Like I told you, I, uh-huh was in labor for 38 hours that was water had broken 38 hours previously so like um she just wouldn't turn she was sunny side up so posterior Mm -hmm. baby Mm -hmm. she would not turn and it took there was they were trying everything in their power they were trying to manually turn her so there would be hands multiple hands one tucking her chin all while she's still like inside of me, tucking her chin, turning her whole body. And we're like, okay, great. She's in the position now. And then on my next contraction, I would feel her rotate right back up. Like she was just so happy where she was at. And then finally I got to the point where we're at hour 37 and no, 36. My midwife told me, like, at this point, my blood pressure is kind of dropping. My water had been broken for so long, so I was at risk for an infection. Most hospitals only give you a 24-hour timeline when your Mm. water breaks before they say they need to intervene more seriously because of the risk of infection. Mm. Well, they were monitoring me for that. They were watching my temperature and, you know, there's signs to show an infection. So they were okay with allowing me to go past and at 36 hours, I was just so tired. Mm. It was like a couple pushes later that we got some serious progress, but she had shoulder dystocia, which is one of the really big fear mongering terms that a lot of doctors will use. Shoulder dystocia is pretty scary. Mm -hmm. Um, their shoulders are stuck essentially. So the head is out, the head is needing, you know, once you break that barrier and baby starts breathing oxygen via getting their oxygen from the placenta, um, you've got a pretty limited time to get them out before you risk brain damage and things like that. So it Mm -hmm. is definitely one of those where doctors use that for, oh, if you're, if you go past your due date, your baby could be so big and they're going to get shoulder dystocia because their shoulders are so big and things like that. So it wasn't something I really prepared myself for at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in hospital versus out of hospital, I can guarantee an out of hospital situation is probably more versed in how to deal with it. 
because they get to that point more often. They yeah. let that laboring person go 38 hours. So they knew immediately how to handle it. Uh, it was just handled beautifully. Even a non-beautiful birth was handled beautifully. And I guess that mm-hmm. is like, was like the craziest thing to me to see like everyone's faith and knowledge and just to be surrounded by a bunch of women that really knew their shit mm-hmm. was so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Like, there was so many scary things happening and it was all handled with no alarms, no yeah. bright yeah. lights, no anything. It was just, and then immediately after it was, the room was like filled with laughter from everybody. Mm-hmm. That's so. such an amazing story too. And I feel like probably just made you even more passionate on wanting to go this direction and give yeah. other women the same experience and support too, which I think is just incredible. It definitely does. And I can say the more encouraging thing is like, I've attended like a, a furthering educa- education courses and mm-hmm. I have seen more and more, like there's one called spinning babies, which it is pretty much all about positioning, like birthing people can get into to help the baby. And what position will get this baby to turn or what position will get this baby or this left side of your pelvis to relax and yada, yada. I've seen more nurses in those, like hospital nurses in those classes recently. I think thanks to COVID, honestly, and the push that made people go out of hospital because they couldn't have their support person. They had to birth Mm -hmm. with a mask. All those little things Mm -hmm. that were like, nope, this is not my birth plan. I'm going elsewhere. It really opened people's eyes to a different kind of care. And I think we're getting Mm -hmm. there. I really, really think we do, which is so exciting. And I love to see nurses who mention that or who will be like, oh, I saw that one time in Spinning Babies or I saw that in this. And you're like, yes, like we are a team and that is what we need to see across the board. And I think midwifery care is really Mm -hmm. opening people's eyes to that, which is so great. I just, I mean, I loved all of that so much. Do you have anything else that you want to share, Peyton, on the whole topic of doulas? There's so much that you can do while you're pregnant that can help you make these decisions. Hiring the doula is great. If you don't have the means to do so, read the books, listen Mm -hmm. to the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, take the classes, learn about, I mean, there's orgasmic birth is a class. It's a course. Mm -hmm. You can take hypno babies. Everyone, there's a a coupon code for that (laughs) course. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh my goodness. One day, one day I'll be able to link up for you guys. I swear. Yes. I feel like when I was pregnant, I turned to like even YouTube and just like so many different doulas and just like social Mm -hmm. media. And I feel like I learned so much um, about birth and pregnancy that um, I never heard from my care team. So yeah. And it it takes a village and it takes the knowledge from everyone involved. And again, you can take advice with a grain of salt, you know, that what worked for one person might not work for another, but you are in control. This is your birth, your story. You don't get to do this one again. You can learn from it and do it differently next time if you want, but you want to make this the best you can. And the only way that you're going to do that is by educating yourself, your partner, and preparing your you and your body for the experience that it's going to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I love that so much. You did yeah. such a great job at just explaining everything and just like giving, like you said, just like letting people know, get informed before you make these decisions. And and I feel like we like we'll end today on that note, but I feel like we have so much more to talk about. Like we didn't mm-hmm. even get into like postpartum. And I feel like that can be like a whole nother episode. So if people want to hear that, okay, <laughs> we can have you back on and we can yes. talk about postpartum. Cause like that has been like a big part of my like pregnancy journey is like experiencing postpartum after my loss and having no clue what that was going to be like, or how, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't expecting it. So I feel like we could have a whole, we could have a whole episode on that, but um, easily. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should definitely do that. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Wait. And then Peyton, if people want to, do you want people to find you on Instagram? No. Okay. I'm okay. No, I I just don't have anything set up. Maybe one day, maybe by the next podcast, I am, I'm taking it easy right now till we get back home to Washington and then I'll hit the ground running. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Peyton. It was so good talking with you and I hope our listeners found this, um, informative. I definitely feel like it was so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let us know how you liked it on uh, our Instagram and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.